On today's episode of Talkin' Tom, we're among the elites as we watch The Bonfire of the Vanities, starring honorary member of the U.S. Army Ranger Hall of Fame, Tom Hanks. The Bonfire of the Vanities is a 1990 satirical black comedy directed by Brian De Palma and sees Hanks' first major studio attempt as a dramatic lead. So get ready for some vehicular manslaughter some sloppy salmon, and some of the worst dirty talk I've ever heard, because we're in the wrong neighborhood and we need to get out of here now. And don't forget the weird teeth in the poontang. My mom always said, life was like a box of chocolates. Heads. Welcome back to another episode of Talkin' Tom, the Pod Hanks Tomcast, where we watch Tom Hanks movies and then we talk about them. My name's Josie. I'm Daniel. Daniel, we're so quiet for a second. I was just pondering the world. Do you like that it's called Hump Day? No, for some reason you saying that took like caught me off guard. <laughs> well, we do release on Wednesdays. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. I can't argue that. I take it back. I just didn't know how to. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> How's your week going? It's pretty good so far. Yeah. It's getting hot in LA, mm-hmm. which is nice. It's been cold. Or yeah. not, I mean, cold with quotation marks around it. Yeah, right. It's a brisk 70 degrees. It's nice. The sun is out. Yeah. I got my car worked on today. That cost me some money. It's pretty Ugh. cool. Can't relate. Good, I'm so good rich. Good start to the day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel it. Yeah. Sometimes. Why don't you just get a new car? Um, I, re- I have like a, I grew up in like a mindset of like you run your the things you buy into the ground until you, they cannot be repaired or it costs more to repair than it is to buy a new one. So that huh. idea has never crossed my mind. Like once my car that I love is on its last legs and I'll start looking, but I'm not going to do that to it yet. I thought that I was like that until I'm, this is not a joke. I like do bits a lot, but this is me being serious the bath mat that I bought in October is like dirty. Yeah. And I literally thought about throwing it away today instead of just no. washing it. I think, well, bath mats are tough. Well, not even the one that I use when I get out of the shower. The one like yeah. by the sink. Oh, okay. That's pretty. They're not the same though. Once you wash it, it looks weird and. Oh. Though if it's, if it's like a light color, you could maybe bleach it. No, it's blue. I have no idea. They're always made of weird material. How do you deal with this? Well, if it's from you. like Ikea, you just go buy a new one for $2. Yeah. But if it's like a nice one, then it was I understand. Weird. Anyway, thank you for making me not feel like so much of a wasteful brat. You are welcome. I watched Mamma Mia last night. And you know, the movie where Meryl Streep invented musicals? Yes. It was incredible. I've never seen it. I Though the trailer for the sequel makes me want to see it. What about it? I don't know. There's just like that pure joy musical that's like, we are a musical and we know we're a musical and we're going to have a grand old time. Yeah. I appreciate that too. When I worked in retail, Mamma Mia was a demo disc. So I heard a song from the movie uh, 10 to 15 times a day, if not more. And so I didn't ever see it because it just kind of grated at me and my soul. I don't know if that was the retail or if it was Mamma Mia, but it was one or the other, and maybe just a combination of the two. Yeah, probably a sweet little back. mixture. Yeah, I'll come back and I'll watch it. 
Well, I'm glad we got our sponsor for Mamma Mia out of the way. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again, coming to theaters sometime, sometime soon. soon. <laughs> we don't have a Tom Hanks theatrical release anytime soon, so. No, we'll Greyhound just, just got Mia. moved up. What did? World War II, Greyhound. Oh, yeah. I don't know much. Ooh, and then Toy Story, we don't know much about yet. Is that next year, though? I think, I think next year is Toy Story 4. 2019. What yeah. year is it? We're getting close. <laughs> it's twenty. It's we're halfway. We're halfway through twenty eighteen now. Oh baby. Well, how do you? How has your half year gone so far? Like, do you have you accomplished the goals you've set out to make? Uh. Or to accomplish? No. I don't really know if I had any goals. I just like my goal is to like do good things and like be proud of myself. Yeah. And I definitely haven't accomplished that. <laughs> this is this is a good goal. Yeah. I, I don't ever like to say I feel like if you say a goal then like you have a less chance of doing it cause then I agree know. it's that whole thing of like don't tell people your big ambitions because you're just bound to fail it gives you the same satisfaction of actually completing it yeah well since we're um, to a degree a movie podcast mm. uh, do you have some favorite now that we're halfway through what are some of your favorite films from this half of the year I didn't prep you for this so my apologies to just throw this on you no that's okay um there's one movie I think we're in complete agreement about me and you yeah from maybe our number one about a little bear oh Paddington 2 yeah, yeah. which is a which is a United States 2018 release so yeah that movie was incredible you were the one who was like go see it I no like, one believed me I, was, I adore them I think it's the best thing that's come out this year yeah that was really cute people kept thinking I was they kept Assuming I was joking. Yeah, like, I totally you, thought you were. Why are you, you hyping were. this? And I was like, you don't. Just give it a shot. Are you worried that Winnie the Pooh is coming for Paddington's brand? Oh, Christopher Robin? With the new thing? Yeah. I don't know. It looks super. It looks cute and heartbreaking, potentially. The trailer made me literally shriek. Yeah. It's pretty... And Ewan McGregor? Great choice. Mm-hmm. What about anything else? Oh, mm-hmm. I liked Thoroughbreds. Oh, Thoroughbreds was really good. That one, I guess, came out before, huh? But No, that's 2018. Yeah. We're just I like, like that further one. into 2018 than we thought we were. Yeah. That's what I put. I had Paddington 2, uh-huh. Annihilation. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thoroughbreds. Then The Director and the Jedi, which is a, a feature documentary about the making of The Last Jedi, but specifically focused on directing. Wow. It's like a bonus feature on the Blu ray, but it is so well done and so insightful and like a really impactful piece about filmmaking that okay. I was really surprised by. And then I did um, The Death of Stalin. Mm. The writer, mm. uh, you were never really here. Black Panther, Gemini, Game Night, Revenge in a Quiet Place. Oh, quiet There's a bunch place. of other stuff. Like um, I really I in- enjoyed the Avengers and um, like Deadpool two and uh, I enjoyed Solo. Oh yeah. This and then I haven't seen a few things. So yeah, I definitely haven't seen as many movies as that. Oh yeah. I have a job so. <laughs> I did too. I just like go from the job and I'm like, oh, I read books in my spare time. Yeah. But speaking of books, I have not read Bonfire of the Vanities. I have not either. I honestly have not heard of it. I had never heard of this movie or this book until we announced that we were going to watch it. Yeah. So this is a weird one. Very weird. It's made in the 90s. Yeah. 1990. My birth year. Yeah. I was a mere thought. Yeah. At that point. Um, Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith, Morgan Freeman. Ooh. 
talking about my color. <laughs> uh, um, what timing to come? This is our next movie in, in light of all of those. Yeah, yikes. Um, so it was like a big cast. And a cameo by Rita Wilson? In the first like five minutes. Yeah. That was a wonderful treat. Uh, what's her name? Kirsten Dunst as like a 10-year-old. Yeah. Who even knew? Um, other people. It's loaded. Yeah. It's like primo 90s oh, who's who. Uh, what's her name? Kristen, not what's her name. Fuck. From Sex and the City. I'm Samantha. I have sex with everyone. Oh. <laughs> that one. It's um, Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And it's a weird movie. It's really weird. Well, sweet, neither of us had seen it. Right, sorry. We looked at the poster. The poster cheats a little bit because it's got a tagline that's kind of the story. But what did you, what was your immediate thought? I... Based on the title and based on this like weird, it reminded me of the Cruel Intentions poster. And I was like, that would be weird if that's what this movie is like. Uh, I don't know. I thought it would be like a a sexy noir type. Yeah, it kind of felt like a romantic thriller. Yeah. Because it was like maybe Tom Hanks, he's like kind of getting to the height of things. Yeah. Like really getting known. Maybe he's going to take a chance to do this weird offshoot. But it's just this like weird satirical sort of comedy yeah that um tries to do a lot of things tries technically and tonally and yeah yeah we had a big opening discussion between the two of us because i think we're gonna <laughs> well let's just we'll just we'll just get into it um uh why don't you summarize the plot of the bonfire of the vanities from the basics that i've put together the plot of the movie is that bruce willis is this writer and he was sort of this has-been, hadn't had anything good, sort of just existing alcoholic. Yeah. But he's come across this story that has become his like golden child. That In the beginning of the movie, we learned that he's published a book on it and become a bestseller and is this celebrity now. Um, but the book's about Tom Hanks' character, and he's a, a Wall Street guy who's about to make a huge... Um, but to put together a huge purchase with some company that's like six million dollars, it'll or six hundred million dollars. Yeah, that's going to land him like one point seven million dollars in profit for himself. Yeah, um, and in his personal life, he's married and might love this woman. We kind of hear in voiceover yeah. he has a child, but he's seen this like the Southern Belle woman who's like sex obsessed and um, it's his mistress, and they go out one night. Uh, and take a wrong turn into the Bronx because yeah. that's the movies kind of plays up a lot of stereotypes about um, race and locations. To uh, we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but in the Bronx, when they're when they're traveling through there, he gets stuck. He they get stuck in kind of this alleyway blocked by some debris, and so he gets out to move it, and they're approached by these two black men, and he assumes that they're going to mug him, and they make a quick escape to get out, uh, and in the process, they run over one of them, one of the gentlemen, and uh, leave the scene. So it comes to light that this uh, that this guy is in, is in a coma, and they're looking for the person who did a hit and run. And so, so things kind of snowball out of control, and they figure out that it's Tom Hanks' character, and it goes to court, and it becomes this weird motley of issues and yeah and I, it was kind of hard to tell sometimes were they trying to make a point or or are they just like reinforcing a point it 
the movie was like half satire, half like hard truth, and then also like super racist. Yeah, it tried to balance all these tones, and I don't think it really landed on any of them successfully. No, and like, who are we supposed to be rooting for? Yeah, that's that's the strange thing, and I the the, the book of this is pretty highly regarded, mm-hmm. uh, which makes me curious to read it because I think there's there's a core to this that is probably really interesting that the movie just completely fails to capture. Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things to say. All of them pretty on the nose. But with the strange tonal structure, you're never sure what is being played as a joke and what is being played as like a truth. Yeah. Um, and they make Tom's character, his name is Sherman. He is played up to be really sympathetic where you're sort of on his side, but he's like a scumbag and like yeah. pretty every degree of the word. And as we kind of pull to the conclusion, his plan to be released does not make us root for him. It's sort of the truth is revealed in what happened that night. Um, in that moment, but he's still in the wrong. He still yeah, was... he's still the bad guy. Yeah. He still, like, put a guy in the hospital. Yeah, and it, it's... The movie tries to be about, like, you know, Wall Street is bad, the money is bad, it's changing New York, uh, where, where the movie takes place, and there are these communities that are taking advantage of the situation. There's sort of this... Um, there's an African-American church who, once they kind of figure out what the situation with the kid who was hit has become are trying to find a way to uh, make a profit from it. Mm-hmm. They're very, like, advantageous. Like they, yes. Yeah, they, they're not portrayed very well. Yeah, and, and they're sort of using the community who they're not giving all the information to to back them for it as this race thing. Um, and they have, at the start... I'm sorry to step on you. Oh, no. They have a valid point. Yeah. This, this one area of the Bronx is only arresting like exclusively black people. Yes. There's no representation of any other crime and mm-hmm. it's that's a problem because yeah. that's not how And there's a mayor who is always explicitly stated to be Jewish. They like want that known. He is running for re-election in of that area. Um, but no one's going to re-elect him because his police force, everyone who works for him has been arresting black men exclusively. Yeah. And so he sort of sees this opportunity once they find out that the guy who was involved in the hit and run um, was Sherman, a white man, that they can sort of make him this example and get himself reelected. Yeah. Because he's like, I do, I'm arresting everyone. I'm doing, there's yeah, a lot of weird political things, some of which I think are really valuable and still yeah. current issues. And I think that at the beginning, at least, I thought it was going to be sort of this serious look into race politics in terms of like the city structure and this wall street structure and this religious structure. But then it becomes this kind of this like farcical thing. Right. And how cool would it have been if, if in the end Tom, like not Tom, my God, Sherman has to like pay for his mistakes. Yeah. And then he's like, like that would have been a really interesting movie and probably wouldn't have been like so bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. They, they sort of, shift the narrative to be about that Tom's mistress, who's, I, I forgot her name, Maria. Oh, uh, Maria. Maria. She ends up turning against Sherman, essentially, because um, she was driving the car that hit the, that hit the guy. Right. And um, so she was driving, but no one knows that except this one like recorded thing that they have that where she kind of confesses it. It gets kind of convoluted and is honestly not that important. Like, no, it's... it's sort of a, 
it becomes. But she turns against him, and then it becomes this like redemption of like, well, how is Sherman going to get out of this? And the movie literally ends with this he succeeds moment that I think I think it thinks you're going to feel good about. Like, he did it. Right. But you're like, no, like, she deserves it. He deserves it. They all deserve it. Yeah, they're both bad people. They both deserve to pay for their crimes. And the movie tries to make a statement on that because Morgan Freeman plays the judge who is dealing with these crimes, or dealing with this trial, and he gives this monologue at the end that's like, everyone of you needs to just try and be good. And it really falls flat, for me at least, mm-hmm. as like this preachy, preachy message at the mo- end of a movie that didn't warrant that. Like, I think it was trying to say things and wasn't succeeding. I don't know, it's, it's, and I can't tell if it's because of where we are now and what it was then, but what the movie tries to state is still really important, so the fact that it failed, I don't know. It's yeah, a, I like fell asleep during his speech. Yeah, it's weird, it's... The movie's a little a hint, a hint over two hours, and it felt its length. Oh, boy. And I guess we can sort of break, like, there's some really interesting technical stuff that's going on. Sure, yeah. Like, the opening shot is, like, this massive single take to introduce Bruce Willis. I'm trying to, oh, okay, yes. Where we, he, that was a single drunk. take. Yeah, so it follows oh, him through this cool. entire, he goes in an elevator, and he's really creepy, and he's like, like, gross. And like, yeah, and causing a ruckus like he's clearly you know enjoying his fame uh, that he's but it kind of paints him as like he's going to be the main character and he is the narrator but then he's like not really in the movie there is in that long sequence that's where we see rita wilson Mm -hmm. tom hanks current wife she's like his pr person and that was like she doesn't like show up in the credits and i feel like she's a celebrity at She's got to be. Probably, I think well it was like a little cameo. That was awesome. Yeah. We both were like, wait a minute. Yeah, it was, we didn't see it. We didn't see her name. But she's never with Tom Hanks. No. On screen. That's okay. They're professionals. Um, there's a scene where he goes, where, uh, sh- uh, what's his name? Mr. Farrow, Bruce Willis's character, goes into the elevator. He's There's this giant tray of salmon. And he just digs his disgusting hands into a plate of like semi-cooked salmon. Just like... Oh, that was the gross. Oh, and then he throws it and he eats it. And it's like the gross. That was a disgusting. And he's like being physically aggressive with this yeah, young woman. Like he just met touching this. Yeah. This girl who's like his fan. It's like gross. They're trying to, I mean, I think that they pretty successfully established that you're not supposed to like this dude. Yeah. Which yeah, is weird. Cause then, yeah. Cause we're seeing the end of the movie at the beginning. We're seeing like what, he basically is going to this award he's going to get for the book he wrote about Sherman, but it cuts right. off halfway and then we see the the story he's telling in the book and then we cut back at the end to the award he's won. Which, but that doesn't really make sense to me because why is he so drunk after the fact? And like, why is he so broken and destroyed? That, I'm trying to decide if, if, if the implication is like what he's learned about Sherman and the city like broke him down. Oh. But it's not super clear because he's still just, you don't feel sorry for him at the end of it. You're just like, oh, you're still just, like, you still took advantage of the system because you made this anyway. Yeah. If that's what you're trying to convey. Yeah. I also, like, don't feel bad for a bunch of rich white people. Yeah. It's, like, really hard for me to feel. I do think the movie comments on that in some uh, clever ways. Okay. You're, like, every, every which white dude in this movie is painted as, like, kind of idiotic. Uh, they're basically just all idiots yeah. doing idiotic things, but then prospering from it, which I think is and celebrating it. Yeah, and I think that was I thought that was the message we we're gonna get further into, but then it kind of lets that like be. S- 
as soon as everyone cheered, I know we're being like so sporadic the way we're talking about this movie. Um, but when every, after uh, Sherman is released on bail and he goes into his apartment where the dinner party's being thrown, that's when I was like, oh, okay, this movie is a satire because yeah. <laughs> they were all cheering for him, which is a complete um, opposite of what was happening downstairs. Yeah, and it's super, yeah, downstairs they're protesting him. Uh, and it's super dark, I think, that moment. I, that was probably my favorite part of the movie, my yeah. favorite moment in the movie, just because it is so twisted and dark. Yeah. But to a degree, like, probably weirdly accurate with, like, the media portrayal of, like, this will be good for you. Yeah. We'll, um, like, sell your life rights. We'll make a movie Yeah, people were trying to buy um, his rights from him and... Weird. And, uh, yeah. I noticed when they're in the in Wall Street, <laughs> I don't know if that's how that is supposed to be said, and he's making that phone call, it's shot from above... Yeah, the and director of this, up. Brian De Palma, has made a ton of great movies. But from a technical perspective, he's does some really wonderful, inventive things, like heavily inspired by Hitchcock. But oh. he shoots this movie with like a real interesting panache to his stuff. But with the content of the movie, it sometimes is just really distracting. It's like a waste. Yeah, like the opening shot is really neat. But like, what are we supposed to get from it? And yeah, a lot of can- I think there's a lot of like technicality for technicality's sake like this looks cool like this scene is sort of is all talking it's a little bit boring so we'll have this cool weird angle that takes place above everyone and so i kind of knowing that this book was such a massive success this movie had a big budget to match yeah for for the content within it it was like 47 million dollars in 1990 money and it bombed yeah. I think I read that it made $15 million. Because <laughs> I can't imagine... We should have watched the, the trailer. Like, how do you... I don't, I don't know how you advertise this movie. I think you just rely on the fact that it was a popular novel. Yeah, and I think that they filled the movie with named big-name actors to try and make that a selling point. Mm-hmm. And so from some stuff we, we talked about before we started this, like, there was a huge amount of issues in creating it. Bruce Willis... Um, was pretty infamously very hard to work with on set. Because um, he was coming off of Die Hard. Yes, yeah, so we sort of like really come, like he's like he's really his arrogant. game. Um, like, well, I, I think the person we see at the beginning is sort of the Bruce Willis that is implied in real life to a degree. Oh. Like he is on top, he is super famous. What is Die Hard? What? What is Die Hard? You never see, oh, you should see Die Hard. Die Hard's great. It's a, is Madonna in it? I don't think so. She did a song called Die Hard? Die Another Day. Oh my God. Nope. Oh, that's yeah, a that's James, James Bond, Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard's a much better movie. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't want to start any fights, but it's a great Christmas movie, though some people will disagree. I'll fight about it. I don't even know what we're fighting about. <clears throat> you have to watch it. Well, Christmas time, we'll watch it. Okay. Um, then you can decide if it's Christmas or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he, I guess it was a lot of issues with him on the production, and a lot of people were replaced. Like the director wanted certain people, and they couldn't get them. and... Like, I think Chevy Chase was wanted for a role. Just to give it a more comedic... I think a more immediately apparent, this is supposed to be a comedy through and through that is is the satirical, political piece as well. Okay. Um, So it just seems to be that they had a ton of issues trying to get this made, and I think that shows in the end product because it's kind of just a mismatch. I'm confused. Trying to figure out what they're doing. I also... I read something that... Or at least compared to the book, because that's really interesting to me. The ending of the book is much different. In the ending of the book, the boy who's been hit and put into a coma is faking the entire thing. 
and he like gets away with it. Oh wow! But I I saw they said that they they shot that for the movie and they um showed it to test audiences and they were like no. Okay, and then uh, the judge played by Morgan Freeman doesn't have this big side plot. Yeah, that's not in the book at all. It's interesting what they choose to like keep and I don't know. It kind of makes sense if, if you're going to have if you're going to take out that ending where he if the kid was faking it, then you have to have some sort of thing to wrap things up and convey a message that Cuz that goes against the message. Yeah. It's very weird. I don't get I don't understand how this book would be interesting. Yeah, and I I think I think some of the mistakes is just in I don't know, this the general story and tone should be this dark, seedy thing, which mm-hmm. I think sometimes moments like the dinner party, I think, yeah. convey that. Um, but they just go so hard in making, making you like Sherman, and like making you question, like maybe he's right, which I think is interesting because if you're trying to make the audience root for someone, that then there's a realization at the end that they're wrong. Yeah. Like that they you've sort of like the Breaking Bad dynamic of like this person's evil, but why is it so entertaining to watch? And that makes you kind of question you as the audience member, like, oh, yeah. But um, it doesn't quite work here, because I think at the end, you may, you're may maybe excited that he has, I don't know, the, the reveal that he's recorded her is, is, I guess, sort of satisfying, but the end result, I don't feel anything. Same. Yeah. I think Melanie Griffith, Griffin or Griffith? Griffith. Her character is very purposefully un- uh, dislikable, mm-hmm. but the entire writing of the entire movie was like a total miss for me. The script itself was like so stilted and like it just it had so many problems. Specifically, Melanie Griffith's character, uh, Maria, who says things like one of the first things she says when she meets up with her lover, her married boyfriend, played by Tom Hanks. She says, don't you want to get some poontang? Or like something (laughs) like so out of character for this like socialite, the Southern socialite. It's just that word doesn't make sense (laughs) in that context. Maybe in the 90s that was the big, that was the word. That is gross. (laughs) She also says, um, oh, you know I love a soft dick or like something. I'm like, now I'm just making a mixtape of like very awful phrases that people are going to use against me. <laughs> yeah, it'll be recorded. They can make it into like a text town or something. <laughs> yeah. It just, her character was so off for me. I did not like the accent, this like weird transatlantic thing she was doing. I didn't like the character. I, I understand she's a villain, but I don't understand what Sherman sees in her enough to break up his entire marriage. Yeah, she just had. They just have a lot of sex. She likes sex, but like That's they her don't character. really have that much sex. I feel no. He's like constantly not in the mood. Yeah, hence the soft dick. <laughs> it's yeah. These, I don't know. She's sort of this folly to him, but I don't know. She's when just as bad powerful. as he is, and makes just as bad as decisions as he does. So yeah. sort of on equal playing fields. Except, they deserve each other. Yeah. Uh. What do you think about the character of Sherman? Um, Besides that we don't like him. 
I think I think you're supposed to start and they casting Hanks is smart because you immediately have um, the everyman sensibility mm-hmm. uh, and they, we kind of see him in his prime like he's cheating on his wife but he's sort of getting away with it but then not really because he calls her by accident and uh, he's kind of at the top of his game at work and so we sort of see this he's already there and then we get to watch him fall and I think we're supposed to have some pity for him Yeah. but there's just so many things that they do to make you feel bad for him yeah. They don't really work. So you're like, you deserve this. Like, you are a monster. Uh, so the movie spends a lot of time trying to humanize him, but I think we as the audience are already like, no, we don't feel this way. Yeah. So there's so m- many moments spent trying to make you feel that way that are just compounding on that. You're like, no, I already said no. I already said no. I already said no. He's spo- he has this internal conflict where he's known at the beginning for being the guy who maintains his calm under pressure mm. and he always kind of does the right thing. He's, you call him like a block of ice. Yes. And he's, he's met, there's something about his father there. That's like his father is a man of assault of the earth type man. He took the subway to work, no matter how wealthy and successful he was. He's always been like a man of the people. Yeah. Very much. So like Tom Hanks, real life. Tom. Yeah. Like a admirable guy who's like had a lot of success, but he worked really hard and he deserves it. Uh, and I think the character of Sherman is constantly trying to live up to that, but also is unable to because of the situations that he finds himself in where he's having an affair and his wife finds out and he can't save himself from that. There's no way to talk himself out of that. He doesn't even really try. There's like a minute where he's like, I'm sorry, let me explain, but she's already gone at that point. Yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah, like, boy, bye. Which is interesting because they set up her character to be this really eclectic socialite, and then her reaction to things, I was like, oh, that makes complete sense. Like, yeah, we're like, like, yeah, you're get in out the of right. There. You should leave him. You should take everything. And his dad has a weird character arc because they present him as, like you were saying, this sort of like great guy. And then at the end, when. Sherman reveals that he has this recording that is technically illegal to use and he'd have to lie to present it. His dad's like, well, then you should lie. Yeah. It's like his dad isn't that great of a man at all. So maybe the movie is just cynical about everyone. Everyone is bad. Everyone will give in to their bad tendencies. Yeah, because even the preacher, who I think the real good guy is fucking Bruce Willis's character because he's the only one who tells the truth. Yeah, and he's sort of... I mean, he's he, so obvious about what is dislikeful, dislikeful, what we don't like about him. It's so obvious. Yeah. He's very openly like aggressive towards women and he's very like a drunk, like, the, but he doesn't hide it. And it's interesting to start the movie presenting him at his worst, because if we started the movie in where we meet him, once he starts telling his story, he's an alcoholic, but you feel you would feel more pity for him. But instead mm-hmm. we start out with this knowledge that he becomes this a-hole um, so then we go back and we kind of spend the time to how he got there, but it's strange to get there because in these moments where he's succeeding, you're like, oh, you think he would be, he's, he's earning this thing, even if some of his tactics are slightly shady. Yeah. But it's also presented completely, since he's the narrator, everything is presented through his, um, his interpretation of things. So we also have to wonder if the movie that we're watching about these people is shifted by his retell his retelling of it. What do you think is kind of interesting? Yeah. Like, is this the true story or is this the, Just he, the book. stuff he fabricated? Because some of it does seem a little too convenient and good to be true. Right. And maybe that's part of the what the what the movie's trying to say. 
that there's sort of this shift in like what can we really trust if everyone's bad yeah hmm but I don't know <laughs> I don't really have very much to say about this movie no I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that it irks me like it makes me dislike it more because there's a lot of things that I think are really interesting mm. kind of makes me want to read the book to be honest because I just want to know what at the core of this without any of these strange decisions made or cuts made by the studio or problems they have with actors what would this look like in its purest form yeah because I think it's really interesting the stuff it's saying and bringing up on race and religion Mm -hmm. and politics and Wall Street and family and this person who's in like wealth and I don't know there's lots of potential yeah what does the bonfire of the vanities mean? My assumption is that it's about all of these people that are going to go up in flames. Uh-huh. Because everything that they've known and loved is about to burn up. It's the, all like about self-preservation for all of these people. They only yeah. care about themselves. But yeah. then I almost feel like the and bonfire is the term of like they're going to lose it. Like it's going to be burnt up. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. That makes sense. I do wish... I mean, the movie ends with... Um, the movie comes to a close with Morgan Freeman giving a speech about what you're supposed to feel. Mm. But then I didn't feel that. No. And I don't think I... I don't really remember the speech verbatim, but I don't quite know if it fit the tone of everything else we had learned. I don't think so. I, I think it went against everything. Yeah. I, I liked Tom... Tom specifically... Mr. Hanks. I liked seeing this kind of role for him because it is kind of hard. I don't think we've seen him play such an unlikable person, such an like openly unlikable. Yeah. I haven't liked a few of his characters, but that's kind of just been like, cause they're a womanizer and they're like drunk on power, but I don't think it's really like out. This character Sherman is like just a weird bad guy. And Conscientiously bad too. Yeah. Moments where he says he knows he's doing something wrong but still goes against it. Yeah. Speak a lot of the character. But he he brings something to it. Yeah, it's a cha- it seems to be a challenging thing. It's a constantly shifting landscape of how he has to play this thing. From height of power, sneaking around, being discovered, having to be cool, losing his cool. There's a lot of... There's an arc of emotion that happens. Whether or not it is ultimately satisfying up to the viewer. I don't think it was in our case. Um, I wonder what made him take this movie. Brian De Palma, the director, is coming off a string of like pretty big hits. Oh. So it makes sense that you'd want to work with him. And okay. then after this is kind of... He would start to do more interesting movies that weren't as well received. And this, well, what's next for Tom after this? Um, I think it's the radio, what's it called? The Flying Radio, the Radio Flyer? Oh, I don't know that at all. It's another movie I've never seen or heard of. Okay, weird. He was doing, he's kind of just like doing a bunch of movies. Yeah, and I think, I mean, at the very least, like they're interesting choices. Like these movies do not feel the same. He's clearly making decisions that are. He's showing his range as yeah. a performer. As a performer. As an actor. But I mean, after his next film, which, let me confirm the title of this before I start spewing nonsense. <laughs> yeah, you are known for 
Radio Flyer. Okay, I was right. One of my iterations is right. Uh, I'm not even going to look at anything about it. Uh, aren't, aren't those wagons, weren't those yeah. red wagons called Radio Flyers? Okay. So we'll, we'll guess about that later. Okay. But after that, I mean, then we're into like the Hanks we all know. Okay. Like, listen to this lineup. League of Their Own, Sleep Was in Seattle, Philadelphia, oh my God. Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, Green Mile, Castaway, uh, Road to Perdition, Catch Me If You Can, Lady Killers, Terminal. Wow. Like nuts. Nuts. We're in Hopefully in that we will find the one that we uh, absolutely disagree on. I'm sure we will. Curious which one will be. Yeah. Maybe when we get to the Da Vinci Code. Have you ever seen those? Describe my face right now. Uh, your eyes twitching. <laughs> I'm shaking. There's three of those. I like them. Oh, okay. I love Nicholas. This is not the same thing, but I love Nicholas Cage. I love... Um, National Treasure? Yeah. <laughs> oh, those are, those are, I like National Treasure. I love Indiana Jones. Yeah. And we will talk about the Da Vinci Code when we get to the Da Vinci Code. Okay. In like 14 <laughs> episodes. Okay. Next year. So, final thoughts on this movie, Bonfire of the Vanities. Um, pretty subpar. I don't think I'd ever revisit it. Never. I'd have to read a really good article that was like, think about it this way when you watch it. I think yeah. I'd rather just read the book. I mean, I'd... Watch the whole thing backwards. Yeah. With the wall playing in the background. There's a book called The Devil's Candy, The Bonfire of the Vanity Goes to Hollywood. That I almost want to read because it's just about the nightmare of this production. The more interesting version of the movie is like yeah. the gossip... It's sort of cool. There's, there's like this dark side to the movie, and it's when it was created that's almost more interesting than the movie. That's kind of like that movie Georgia Rule. That um, shoot, who's that guy? Gary Marshall. Oh, okay. <laughs> the legend. Um. Yeah. Okay. I think I give this movie like two stars. Yeah, I might even go like one and a half. Mm. It's in, like, lowest of our Hank's watchings. Yeah. I appreciate the effort. Yeah, this, I, think, I think that's what makes it disappointing. There's a lot of stuff that could be legitimately interesting and important to talk about. Yeah. And still absolutely valuable to in today's world. Um, but it wasn't working for me. It almost might be better as, like, a play or something. Maybe. A full feature-length two-hour movie is, like, ugh. Um, yeah. Yeah, pass. Yeah, it's pretty pass. I don't think it's fair. Well, then how about we jump into the next section? Uh, oh, wait a second. Well, I think I hear something. Ever. I've heard tell. Do you hear, do you hear that? I do. There's some, there's some breaking news. <laughs> it's time for Hank's Happenings. Whoa. I feel so alive. That's great. My news sounds were so good. <laughs> okay. Speaking of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, about movies that we'd seen this year, I went to go see the movie, The New Star War, with you. Oh, The Solo. The Solo. Solo Bolo. The Solo Bolo. I just saw, um, speaking of Solo Bolo, we won't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I saw Ben Schwartz with Wild Horses, and it was amazing. Very good show. But... You and I went, not you and I, you and all your friends, and then you invited me, <laughs> which was awesome, because I ate a ton of popcorn. Uh, we went and saw Solo, the new Star Wars movie, with not Harrison Ford. What's that guy's name? Alden Ehrenreich. He was okay. I like him. I think he's got, I think he's got that charm and charisma down. 
yeah. Um, I read a thing. Who's the director of that? Ron Howard? Yes. I read a thing where Ron Howard said that Tom Hanks asked if he could be a stormtrooper in the new movie. And they were like, gonna do it. But then they couldn't because Tom was doing the post at the time. And so their schedules didn't align. But how would that have been to have our two worlds collide in such a beautiful moment? What? They should have pushed the movie to December to have that Tom Hanks. I mean, didn't they reshoot that movie like three times? Yeah, that's those. Those are the alleged rumors that like seventy percent of it was reshot. So then you'd think that there would have been time for Tom Hanks to put on a little helmet and shoot at some stuff. I mean, we're getting new Star Wars every year. At a certain point, maybe we'll get a Tom Hanks Star Wars character. I'll work on it. I'll write something. I sometimes I wonder if. Those Star Wars movies are better with like not well known people in them. I think I think it that helps expand that helps keep the universe pushes into new things. You have no preconceived notions of like these actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get some big name actors in them to sell it, but a lot of them take risks and have like no one. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Is that the new? You just said his name, but I don't remember it. Alden Ehrenreich. Is he? He's kind of unknown, right? Yeah, he said he had a few like um, notable roles, but in smaller movies. Um, my favorite being he's in the Coen Brothers Hail Caesar. Oh, right. As the cowboy. He's so good in that. Okay. I think it's smart to keep it without that because Star Wars as a name will sell the movie. You buy into the character more, I think. Yeah, we can also create something that isn't, you don't associate with other things as much. Yeah. Well, I thought that was a fun little moment. I liked seeing that movie with you and I liked eating all that popcorn that I ate. Yeah, we'll do it again. Okay. I don't normally get popcorn. <laughs> I got like the huge jumbo bucket and I refilled it. Oh yeah, it had it had our I want I think I had Chewy on mine. Oh you did? Yeah. Maybe it just said solo. Maybe Chewy was on my cup. Yeah, your cup. And I went all in. Yeah. And then felt kinda sick the next day. (laughs) That's my own fault. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think so. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Um no. (laughs) Cool. I don't either. Well, people, people listening, our next movie in two weeks is going to be Radio Flyer. Right. We've never heard of it or seen it. I'm sure it's like somehow just an ad that we just... <laughs> find it and watch it if you want to keep up. Or just listen to see if it's worth it next time. Yeah, we'll post some links, show you guys how you can find it and watch along with us. Um, and you can find those links where, Josie? Oh my God, so many places. And just as a side note... We love it when you guys review us on iTunes. We not only love it, we require it to exist. Yeah, it's necessary for our survival as a podcast in this incredibly oversaturated medium. There's too much good. There's too much good being created in all forms. Um, so if you're enjoying the show, if you love Tom Hanks, we, we, we love hearing so about your goodness. Thank you to everybody who's rated us and reviewed us so far. Um, hope to hear from you guys soon. Other than that, if you're interested in continuing the conversation, you can find us on our website, TalkinTom.com. That's talking without the G. Or on social media, under the handle... Hanks Tomcast. Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook group. Not Vivo. Or Vero. What's the new weird one that everyone's on? I think... Uh, is anyone still on it? It's Vero. It's like know. New Vine. We're not on that. Oh, I wish I wish we were. I miss fun. <laughs> R.I.P. R. R. 
Uh, all right. That's it for now. My name's Josie. I'm Daniel. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.